Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm Greg Bryan. And I'm Jim Reske. We're gospel addicts because we believe the gospel of Jesus isn't just good news, it's the best news ever. We're addicted to the gospel because it doesn't just start us out in the Christian life, it is the Christian life. Join us as we look at the Bible through the lens of the gospel. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Greg Bryan. I'm joined tonight with my other co-host, Jim Reske. Jim, how are you? Doing great, Greg. How are you doing? I'm super excited because a couple of reasons. One is this is our 100th episode. Can you believe that? And the next uh, one is 1,000. That's I was just going to say we're on our way. Next time we celebrate, it's 1,000. Uh, and we go, then and 10, then we 000, go to 10,000. That's right. Just keep going. And then who knows where we go from there. But guys, the limit. I'm also excited because we have a third guest with us. My friend Ali is joining us as we're we're going to be kind of focusing on Romans chapter 12. So Ali, how are you tonight? I'm doing awesome. Really excited to join you guys. Good. Sometimes, you know, we like to just start things off in a little bit of a lighthearted manner. So I like to share some of my my uh, I call them sticky jokes because they're kind of jokes that I <laughs> that I like to kind of stick with you. So you just um, can't get them off your mind. Exactly. In fact, last night, last night I, I had a dream and yeah. I dreamt I was a muffler and I woke up exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> if you're wondering, that was a joke. That was a joke. I thought it was real. It sounded so real. I, you you blended in really nicely. Yeah. I used to work at a calendar factory. I got fired for taking a few days off. <laughs> My last joke to get us started is, uh, have you ever heard this one? Whatever you do, do not trust an atom because they make up everything. <laughs> everything atoms Dude, that's Adam. the kind of joke that like kills at a convention of physicists there you yeah. go for all of our... like rolling in the aisles exactly but see i like i like jokes like that because they're so stupid they're funny that's right can't help but laugh <laughs> i yeah. i also had another dream i had this dream i was like eating marshmallows yeah and i kept eating marshmallow 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 i woke up and my pillow was caught <laughs> I think I I remember that one from second grade. (laughs) We better get serious here. So we're looking at the, you know, one of the greatest books in the Bible, the book of Romans, written by the Apostle Paul. I know, Jim, you and I have been been, uh, walking through this a bunch recently, and we're kind of at this turning point of chapter 12, where Paul gets really practical. It's kind of like, in light of everything I've written, this is how you need to live. This is how you need to serve God. And it starts off with this word, therefore. Theologians will tell you, whenever you see the word, therefore, in the Bible, figure out what it's there for. Mm. Yeah. Isn't that right? That it, what, what is the therefore, therefore? What is the therefore, therefore? But I wanted to just tell you guys that there are actually four significant therefores in the book of Romans. So look at chapter two for a second, if you have, if you can. Chapter okay. two, verse one, it says, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you 
who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Any, any, uh, do you remember what that was about, Jim? Well, I think that was a, that was turning the page from chapter one to chapter two. And chapter one talks about all the irreligious people in the world and the, the lawless and that they're all sinners. They're all hopeless sinners. And, but then he says in chapter two, there's lots of religious people in the world and they're all sinners too. Right. So I guess that therefore would be the, that kind of uh, contrast from saying that it's not just all the irreligious people in the world that are lost in their sins. He's, he's turning to the religious people and saying, you're lost in your sins too. Yeah. And one of the things I, I really like about that is it puts, it puts everybody on the same level, right? We're all right. sinners. That's Whether right. You're that... religious or irreligious. You're a sinner. That's right. Short of the glory of God. And so Paul's kind of setting up this argument of why we need the gospel. And the reality is we have this problem that we call sin. Yeah. And um, the only one who can solve it is God. And so the, se the, the second, therefore, comes in chapter five, verse one. Okay. Where Paul writes, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this, this talks about just the power of the gospel in a person's life. Yeah, that, because... Chapter one, chapter two is setting up the idea that everyone's a, everyone's a sinner. The irreligious are sinners. The religious are sinners. Then chapter three comes along and says, for all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But by chapter five, one, he's already shared the gospel. Right. Right. Yeah. So, um, but it, it just shows you that, um, the, 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 everyone wants peace with God. Everybody, I mean, that's something, everybody wants peace. But Paul lays out the argument that the only way to get that peace is through Jesus. That's right. And through his death and resurrection. And so um, we're, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Jesus died for all people. So that if we um, have placed our faith in him, it says we're justified, which is like, just as if we never sinned and that gives us peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ said so, Ali have you experienced that yeah I mean I think when I first came to faith I experienced the first time when I when I started learning about Jesus Christ and then when I accepted him as my Lord and Savior I experienced uh, like some sort of weight going off my shoulders so it almost felt like having that having that mental peace in life that you know you've been saved by by Lord Jesus uh, and having that satisfaction kind of gives you i think having that satisfaction in this world gives you that peace that you know we have someone who we can put our faith in so i think that's how i experienced it you know ali that feeling of that weight being lifted um yeah. the hymns that talk about you know my my chains fell off. My heart went free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. The feeling of your chains fell off. When you were saying that, I was just thinking about how Greg, like in Romans, the first parts of Romans, that you know, they're all, the, the irreligious and the religious, in Romans 1, Romans 2, they're all ways of being your own savior. 
and we've been talking about this as we go through Romans, just the idea that it's so heavy to be your own savior. It's so such a burden to be your own savior. So if you're irreligious and you say, yeah, you know, I don't, there's no sin. There's no such thing. There's no rules. I'm gonna, I, I, I'm a good person. I save myself. But mm-hmm. there's such a burden in that because you now you've got to justify yourself. And then the religious person says, I'll work really hard. I'll keep all the rules and then I'll be justified. And that's a horrible burden. So then I, I, this, <laughs> I'm glad you brought our attention to this Romans 5.1. Greg, because it's such a nice summary. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified by faith, not that weight comes off, Ollie, like you're saying. And yeah. Yeah. Say, he's my savior, not me. It's so, so great. We're justified by faith. We're not justified by works. That's right. We're that's justified right. by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And that's one of the differences between religion and the gospel. Religion is always, you know, uh, I've got to, you know, I've got to do all these things. Then God will love me. Right. If then. That's right. Yeah. Where for if you really understand the gospel and the reason we talk about being gospel addicts is that you realize that Jesus did it all. And um, because of what he's done for us um, on his on the cross. And through his death and resurrection, now we get to live our lives out of gratitude. Now we want to serve him. Now we want to do um, yeah. all these things. We want to go to church. Yeah. It's, it's. I think, uh, me coming from a Muslim background, I was, it was like a fresh breath of air when I first experienced it. Because, mm-hmm. you know, in, in Islam, it's like, you know, the prophet already write down or wrote down all those guidelines that you know you have to wake up every morning at five and then offer your first prayer of the day whereas jesus never told anybody to wake up on sunday at 8 a.m and then hey you have to go to church they do that because they want to learn more about him they want to be part of that community and they want to stay close with jesus that's why they do it so they do it out of their love and their faith for jesus not by any sort of uh, obligation that is a great summary, and uh, that's where where we are going today. When we get to Romans twelve. That is great. That is great. That is so perfect. let's talk about the third. Therefore, it's in eight chapter chapter eight verse one. Mm, I love Jim, this. Uh, yeah, I'm going to read it, but then Jim, you you taught on it, so yeah. I'm going to let you summarize the imp- why is this therefore? What is this therefore? Therefore, yeah, it says. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So how would you, what, what's the significance of, you know, Paul writing therefore? Yeah, it was just, well, we were just talking about this. So if someone is listening to the podcast, I might've heard me speaking on this um, a few podcasts ago, but this is it, Romans 8 verse 1 on its own is just one of the most incredible verses in scripture, right? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if it was all about following the rules and about being a good person and saving yourself, you'd say, well, there's still some condemnation. There's a little bit of condemnation. But this verse says there's no condemnation. Anyway, in Christ Jesus, you're justified by faith 100%. That alone is incredibly good news, right? That's the gospel. But it's the juxtaposition with Romans 7 that makes it so incredible. That's what the therefore is there for, right, Greg? It's yeah. Romans 7, there's this, this great crescendo of Paul saying, I'm such a mess. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, those are the very things that I do. And then he ends by saying, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this 
body of death. And then you get right. That's how Romans seven ends. He's just talking about his awareness of his deep he, sinfulness. He's, yeah, he's kind of he's kind of like um, hopeless at right. that point, right? Right. It's sort of like a a desperation. And he's writing this as a Christian. And right. I know Ali, you and I have talked about this: how the Christian life is a struggle. It's a struggle yeah. because we still battle with our sin. Like um, we wish it was taken. You know, we wish it was totally taken away from us. But we we kind of <laughs> live with this daily battle going on. And, and Paul is talking about that. And he kind of gets to this desperate thing of like, who's going to rescue me? Who can rescue me? But then it says, but thanks be to God um, through Jesus Christ. And then it, then it turns right to Romans eight, one. That's right. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the magic of it. That's the beauty of it. Yeah. Your dog agrees. <laughs> that dog loves Romans eight one. <laughs> even even the dogs, you, well, you can't stay silent, right? Even the dogs, that's right. <laughs> so, is there anything else you want to say about that eight one, Jim? No, let's okay. let's move on. Let's move on to Romans twelve. Okay. Um, Romans twelve. Well, we got to start. We can't read the whole chapter. We got to just start mm -hmm. with the first two verses because there's so much, so much in those first two verses. So we like to, in the podcast, we like to actually read the scripture um, so you don't have to look it up. So let's, let me read the first two verses and then let's, let's talk about this, uh, this important uh, passage from Paul. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what it, what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So I heard that there was this David Martin Lloyd-Jones, famous preacher who's, you know, um, he, he actually preached 11 sermons on these two verses. And um, our good friend Tim Keller makes a comment about that. He's like, and when you, when you, when you, and he, he, because Tim Keller read through all those sermons and he said, you realize that that's not even enough. There's so much depth to what Paul is saying here. But what are some of your initial thoughts of this, Jim? Well, you know, let's look at some commentaries before we get started. And I think some people are looking at this there for, I think it is it summarized just in Romans uh, 11, or is it summarized the entire, all the whole message of Romans up to this point, the whole gospel up to this point? And some people think it was just, it's a summary of the entire gospel up to this point, right? Or the summary of the entire, it's a reflection on the entire book of Romans up to this point, where Paul's talking about the gospel and how it works uh, and everything about the gospel. And, and then, then, he, then he comes and says, therefore, I appeal to you, brothers, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And the thing that with the commentators that I read were noticing about it was, in this, therefore, it's like this appeal. I mean, the commands come later. We'll get to those in Romans 12. You got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. But this is like an appeal. I please, I'm begging you. You know, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Right? It's not, it's like a not, it's not a command at this point. It's almost like, gosh, like I'm begging you. And I thought, Greg, about like, it's, we talk about this a lot, like the offer of Christianity, the offer of Christianity is so astounding. 
And nothing else offers that. I mean, if you put your faith in him, all your sins are washed away. You have hope for, you know, you, it, it, there's, it, there's such an offer in Christianity. And it always boggles our mind. We, we talk about this. It just boggles the mind that people don't want that or take the offer. But here's Paul like putting that off on the table saying, I'm begging you. you know, please take the, take the offer. Take the offer, right? Though your sins are as scarlet, they can be white as snow. Right? It's... um. Yeah, and if you think about just what, you know, it says by the mercies of God, well, what what has Paul already told us in the book of Romans about the mercies of God? He's He said that we are just, we have justification from the guilt and penalty of sin. Yeah. Which yes. is crazy. We've been adopted in Jesus and um, have identification with Christ. You know, we are his sons and daughters if we if we trust him. We've been placed under grace, not the law. We've been given the Holy Spirit to live within us. We've been we have the promise of help in, in all affliction. We have the assurance of our standing in God's election. We have confidence of his coming glory, confidence of no separation from the love of God, confidence in God's continued faithfulness. I mean, those are the mercies of God. Yeah, that that sounded really incredible. Were you reading from something? It sounded like you were I was. I was reading from a commentary. Okay. I thought you just, I thought that was just off the top of your head. Like, don't help me on the top of my head. Here are the mercies of God. Like, wow, Greg, that was, you should write that down. That was great. I wish, I wish I was, I wish I was that smart, but, um, <laughs> but I mean, that I, I, I definitely think that, that, that this, this therefore is not just for, you know, in contrast to chapter 11. I think this is the one that goes, He's reflecting back on the whole book of Romans. And uh, and I, I like the whole idea about living sacrifices. It's kind of like an oxymoron, you know, because, <clears throat> uh, you know, it, anybody who knows anything about s sacrifices and especially the sacrificial system that was that the Jews practiced during that time. us When you put a sacrifice on the altar, it was dead. Right. And so mm -hmm. that that sacrifice wasn't going anywhere. And it's interesting that Paul uses this kind of same terminology with us, at, and he calls us living sacrifices. So it's almost yeah. like we, we have to willingly put ourselves on the altar. But every um, many people have made the comment that the problem with a living sacrifice is we always crawl off the altar. Right. That's right. Um, we don't stay there. Right. We don't stay there. And again, I think that's a description of the Christian life. You know, we're, we're constantly you know, on a daily basis, we've got to, you know, um, surrender our lives back to God. And that's why we need, we need the gospel. We need Jesus every day. Um, not for our salvation, but for our sanctification. Yeah. I've heard lots of, you know, sermons on living sacrifice and, and always, always is a kind of an odd combination of words that I was never really clear about. Or I really didn't understand. And I think uh, I think I told you this once before, Greg, a long time ago. That um, I don't see there's there's a secular song from uh, a band called uh, called Pearl Jam that helped me understand what living sacrifice means. They have a song called Wish List. It's probably twenty or twenty five years old now. And there's just a line. He talks about I wish this and I wish that. There's a line in the song that says I wish I was a sacrifice, but somehow still lived on. And it's um, it's not a Christian song. It's definitely not a Christian band. Uh, but it sounds like a, a verse, a line in the song that someone could have written only if they knew Romans 12, verse 1, you know, 
but saying, I wish I was a sacrifice, but somehow still lived on. And that just somehow that just clicked in me and helped me clarify, no, being a living, living sacrifice. I want to be a sacrifice. My whole life is a sacrifice of worship to God, right? He died for me in a, in a reflection of that, in response to that. I want to give my life back to him. I want to sacrifice, but still living on, but still living, right? It's not because we, we passed over from death to life. So I'm still going to live on. I'm still going to live, but I want to live my entire life for him as a living sacrifice. Anyway, strange little thing to pick up some spiritual insight from a, from Pearl Jam, but uh, that that little line in that song helped me out. Uh, very interesting, Ali. Do you have any comments you want to make so far? So I was just like going through the verse again, and then you know where it says, "Your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God." And then in verse two, it says, "Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind." I think. That itself is probably the biggest living sacrifice that we can make, because uh, to uh, to to not be conformed by this world is probably the biggest challenge. I wake up every day, and you know, like like we talked about, you know, Christian life being a struggle. Uh, that's what it is. You know, it's so easy to be to get conformed by this world. You know, there's there's so much evil all around you. And I think that you restricting yourself from committing all the possible sins is probably one of the biggest living sacrifice that you can offer to God, which is holy and perfect. Hmm. That's man. That's a great thought. You know, uh, an interesting Ali, the, the word be transformed in the yeah. Greek is the word metamorpho. Oh, Does that mm-hmm. sound like another word metamorphosis. Yes, evolution. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it it literally means to be transfigured. It means to be to change into another form. And so it's actually used four different times, twice in the gospel, referring to Jesus when he was actually transfigured in front of the disciples. Oh, that's the same word for the transfiguration? That's the same word for the transfiguration. Oh, wow. And so, but it's also used in 2 Corinthians 3.18. What does that it says, say? I believe I have to look it up, but I think it's with unveiled faces. Second uh, Corinthians three eighteen. Um, yeah, I can. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with an ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It's the idea that. What God desires is that we would become more and more like Jesus. Yeah. You know, and it, it kind of reminds me, it kind of reminds me of Jim's last week's sermon when I was uh, at the at the youth center where he was talking about, you know, I'm going to jump to the moon. Yeah. You know, which is like an impossible task. Like you can. But, I, was, I was hoping that would stick with somebody. So thanks for saying that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it did stuck with me. I'm, I've been trying to jump <laughs> ever since then. <laughs> well, but you know, it, it's also it's also like uh, you know, you every day you're gonna improve. You know, if you start practicing your jump every day, you're gonna improve, and you're gonna try and try and jump as higher as you can reach the moon. But it's also it's also uh, a fact that Jesus jumped for us. Right. right in our place. Je- Jesus jumped for us in our place to reach the moon. So if we put our faith in Jesus, 
you know, that that jump will happen for us too. But we still practice every day so that we can jump as high as Jesus did and practice so, that life. So for those of you who may be listening to this podcast that didn't hear the uh, reference that Ali's talking about, the, the, um, the, the, the idea, the um, metaphor was, was like saying, look, if, uh, if I'm practicing my jumping skills and I think I'm, I can jump and I set a goal and I say, I'm going to jump and I'm going to jump um, uh, to the moon. And if I, you know, I've been saying I'm, getting, I'm jumping and I'm practicing, I'm getting higher and higher and higher. My goal is to jump to the moon. Then the immediate response someone would say is, well, how high exactly do you think the moon is above the earth? And in my little joke or example, I was saying, well, I think the moon is a good 15 or 20 feet over the earth. In other words, <laughs> you're describing it as if holiness in your personal life is achievable that you could actually do it in your flesh. And you got the point, Ollie. The point is Jesus accomplished it for you. You can't do it. Then in, in so it's, it was given to you. So in his in his mind, in his eyes, he said, he says, "When I look at you, I see someone who can jump to the moon because I gave you that righteousness. You're not achieving it on your own." But you're right. So the response, you want to do, you want to do those things. In response, because he gave me that righteousness, therefore I want to do those things. But what I think is interesting about this is that it does, like when you read this verse and it says, "Do not be conformed to this world." I think right, conform to this world. There's so many, like you said, so many pressures to conform to this world. You wake up every day. The minute you wake up, there's the minute you look at social media, there's pressures to conform to this world, the way the world thinks. But then it says, be transformed. And you almost think it was going to say, be transformed by the, by the improvement of your behavior. You know, be transformed by cleaning up your act, by becoming a better person, by uh, stopping the bad things you do and starting to do good things. In other words, that was a message that says, you know, you know what you got to do in the Christian life is you got to start to try to jump to the moon. You've got to clean up your act and you know, you um, uh, improve your behavior, but it doesn't. It says be transformed by the renewal of your mind, the renewal of your mind. And if you think about what, he, what Paul saying in earlier chapters about set your mind on things above, not on things that on the earth, this notion of real transformation, real transformation comes on renewing what you mind, renewing your mind. It's, 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 a, it's a progression. We've talked about this before, but it's a progression of your awareness. Paul, mm -hmm. Paul is more and more aware that he's a sinner. He's more and more aware of God, what God did for him on the cross, more and more aware of God's holiness and more and more what Jesus did from the cross. So he's, he's growing in his awareness. He's growing in his, he's renewing his mind by doing those things. That's why he's so grateful. And that's why he's presenting his body as a living sacrifice and, and, and loving, it, loving God more and more every day. But the renewal of the mind, I think is interesting because it's not, it's a, it's a different way of thinking of, the, of growth in your Christian life the sanctification process, then, you know, be transformed by the improvement of your behavior, right? You, you do improve your behavior. You want to, but the, 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 the but, but, but real Christian progress is measured by renewing your mind, changing what you mind, changing what you dwell on and, and be more and more aware of his, his gospel every day. Yeah. It's, it's inside out. It's inside yeah, out. It and starts, right. starts with, starts with the mind. So essentially, he says we should be living sacrifices, which is like being a living dead person. Um, and uh, and then we should not conform to the world. And when we should mention that when it talks, when the Bible talks about the world, in this case, it's talking about the fallen, corrupt, sinful, broken world that we live in. And it's it's really. We've also talked on this podcast about how people people have a worldview. People have a way that they view the world. 
it's it, it, it's really hard. I mean, to me, it makes so much sense. Can can you really argue that the world is? Is there anybody out there that's saying the world's not broken, the world's not corrupt, the world's you know, not fallen, the world's yeah, not I'm, the way it should be? Right, right. I, there are lots of people who say there's no such thing as sin. The, ir- the, the, the re- irreligious view of the world is like, oh, there's no such thing as sin. Sin is something Christianity made up or sin is religious makeup. But what I think the counter argument to that is exactly what you're saying. If you go to everybody in the world, put a microphone in front of them and says, what do you think is wrong with the world? Everyone has an answer for that question. Everyone says there's something wrong. Everybody, no, there's no one who says, oh, the world. No, what are you talking about? It's perfect. It's perfect the way it is. Nobody says that. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and so everyone knows it's broken and fallen, but yet uh, uh, it's a great theologian, John Hanna from Dallas Theological Seminary. He, uh, in his course in church history, he said, "There's, it's funny that people deny the existence of sin, but if you look at all of human history, there's more evidence for sin than like anything else in any history. <laughs> the history is filled with evidence of just, you know, brutal wars and selfishness and kingdoms and, and, and there's more evidence for sin than anything in history and yet people still go through their lives and say i don't know what you're talking about i'm not a sinner there's no such thing as sin it's crazy so you know one you know as i'm doing ministry with with people i think part of my job is just to get them to think yeah get them to think about what their worldview is and to see that their worldview doesn't match up with reality how do you do that well you do it by asking questions you do it by helping them figure out what worldview they have you know your worldview is almost like a pair it's like your glasses you know everyone everyone has a pair of glasses and they and everyone's are a little different i kind of find it fascinating um so i like to practice spiritual curiosity I, I think, you know, even with Ali, you know, I, I asked you a lot of questions. Like, I wanted to understand where you came from. So, um, yeah, what are, you, what are your thoughts, Ali? Well, just, just that we're talking about what's wrong with the world. I want to start off with a question. What, what are you both, for, for both of you, what do you think what's the biggest conflict in this world? What's the biggest conflict? The biggest conflict in this world? Yeah. Mankind's rebellion against God. Okay. How about you, Greg? Yeah, I I think I would say something along the same lines that we've all turned our backs on God and we're living in a world in light of that. So relationships are broken. Um, there's, um, you know, that, 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 re- that act of, turning away from god has you know caused all kinds of calamity in this world um what do you think ali well i was having this conversation with uh, with a friend yesterday and i my answer might be a little different from your answers but i feel like the biggest conflict right now in the world is religion Mm. oh Because, I mean, if you look at it, uh, humankind uh, has this uh, very small problem, but also very big problem, which is they do not agree to disagree. 
right? It is so hard to agree to disagree. Uh, Muslims do not agree with Hindus. Hindus do not agree with Muslims. Christians do not agree with Muslims. And then Muslims also do not agree with Christians and all the other religions. They all kind of try and teach mostly good stuff, but they do not agree with each other. And I mean, if you look at historically, all the wars or whatever has been happening, it's been happening for one very major reason, which is, you know, religion. If you, if you go back, there, there, the Christians were fighting Muslims and then there was the time when Hindus were fighting Muslims. So it's always that lack of acceptance towards each other because everybody thinks that their religion is right and, you know, the other person's religion is wrong. So what I practice is right and what they're practicing is wrong. But And I think that kind of leads towards, which we might discuss later, which is, which is self-righteousness. You know, we all think that we are right and everybody else is wrong. And I think uh, God God tells us that do not think of yourself as righteous. Do not think do not think that you are you are perfect. Yeah. Mm. So I think I know, the biggest think, conflict. Yeah. I think that's good. I think that's I think there's a lot of truth to what you're saying. And um you know, the the whole concept of sin is that we're kind of turned in on ourselves. We're self-centered self-righteous um self anything it's all about it's all about us and uh um jim do you have any 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 thoughts on that about the and if you look about like jesus himself was the the religious people were the ones who were, (laughs) were the ones who really essentially um put him to death like they they could not handle him and he was the kindest i mean it's just it's just crazy to think about the way he treated people was was amazing like he was so gentle and so kind so accepting and um the you know he he did have some harsh words towards the religious people but it's because he was trying to like shake them up a little bit and help them see their their self-righteousness and um yeah what do you think jim oh just a couple thoughts i think it's very it's it's, uh, very profound ollie and very interesting i think uh there's no doubt that religion's been a source of enormous conflict in the world historically um if if, for all kinds of different religions for all kinds all kinds of different times and it's a reason why i think a lot of uh, non-christians or secular people just non-believers of any religion Avoid religion. They'll say, "Look, look at that! Look, look, look. They'll say religion has been the source of all wars, and all wars have stemmed from religion." Now, by the way, I, don't, I actually don't think that's factually true. I think if you look at like World War II, uh, Hitler attacking uh, other parts of Europe was not caused by his religious point of view, religion. Yeah, you know, there and they're like, if you look at to, today, we're we're, brought, we're recording this in twenty two on twenty twenty two, Russia has attacked Ukraine. This is a war of territorial ambitions and conquests by their religion so there's lots of other words of not religious based but you could make the case though that you say um they may not be wars of religion but reflecting the same underlying thing you were saying which is their wars of belief we believe your territory should be part of russia therefore we want to attack you we believe in uh, if you look at you know, Hitler, World War II, our, our fascism is the only way to stop your communism. We need to attack you. And we believe you really should be Poland. You should be part of Germany because their Germans live. There's all kinds of beliefs that people have deeply. They'll say it's not religious, but it is. 
They'll say it's not. Yeah. I'm, I'm very secular. I'm very secular. <laughs> but it goes back to what we were saying before. Everybody says there's something wrong with the world. Everybody yeah, and, and says there's something wrong with the world. But, but Christians are the only ones, real Christians, because Christians have started as worse. You look back at the Crusades, it's awful. It's an awful part of uh, Christian history. But Christians yeah. are the ones when you're asked, what is wrong with the world? They should be saying, if they understand the gospel, the answer yeah. to that question is, I, it's me. I'm the one that's wrong with the world. I'm a, I'm a sinner in desperate, desperate need of forgiveness. That's that's the view that doesn't start wars. That's the view that says, yes. I, I'm lost. I need a savior. I'm sorry, Ali, you were going to say something. I, I, agree, I agree with that because that's why I said my answer might not sound the same, but it is kind of related to what you both said. I mean, you kind of went to the root of the problem, right? And which is like, you know, disagreement with God. I mean, that that is also part of why, you know, there is this religious conflict in the world because the humankind is, you know, turning their backs, turning their backs towards God. So I think, yeah, mm. it, it is kind of related, but it doesn't sound the same, but it's like a subdivision answer of what you guys said. So to bring it like to Romans 12, when he says, I'm begging you by the mercy of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to what I'm like, I'm begging you, hear what I'm saying in the gospel. You have to admit you are a lost sinner, whether you're religious or irreligious. You have to be like me in Romans 7 mm -hmm. saying, I can't do this. I can't keep the law. I can't be a good person. I, and in Romans 8, 1, that, you know, therefore there's no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. So it's relied on all that gospel. You got to get that. And, and, and then if you get that, then you're going to be, you know, look, Ali, in, in, to, for your, to bring it to, to home for this conversation, then you're going to be an instrument of peace. Right, they're going to be yeah. an instrument of peace in this world. If you say, "I get the gospel," I'm in desperate need of salvation. I'm such a lost sinner. God Himself had to die for me. Right? I mean, that is what Christianity teaches. It should take away all self righteousness and all, all, all. Um, that should really erase conflict, not cause conflict. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gospel Addict Podcast. Feel free to contact us via email at Gospel Addict Podcast at gmail.com stay tuned for our next episode and remember on your worst days you're never beyond the reach of god's grace and on your best days you're never beyond the need of god's grace see you next time